Well, hello and welcome to the King's Church Darlington podcast. Um, with me today, I have a really special guest, uh, Albert Dickin, MBE. Your official title, Albert, um, is joining us uh, to talk through his life, his, his testimony uh, as well, and just uh, his business empire that he built up in the northeast of England. Uh, the Dickens brand is something that uh, many northeasters will know very well. And even throughout the country, people will recognize the Dickens brand. Uh, but we're not just talking about uh, the company today. We're going to be talking about the, the charity work that Albert and his wife Pauline have done through the Goshen Trust. And i um, really excited to get into this story. So thank you for joining us, Albert. Great to be here. Yes, not to worry about that. Yeah, lovely. Yeah, well, thank you for coming in. Appreciate it. I know that when we asked if uh, if you're available to come in, you you made a, a couple of jokes about I'll have to check my diary. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we haven't been doing much for the last eighteen months. No, not many people have. It's been a it's been a busy uh, busy time for some key workers, but some of us have not had as much to do on evenings and well, and we're retired. It's doubly uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I really appreciate you giving us the time and coming down and sharing i really appreciate that and you have an incredible story we've been talking quite a lot before we've come on to the podcast and there's so many things that we could talk about um and i was talking about how we could spend literally a whole hour talking about some subjects but we're going to try and go through um a few areas of your life here so we're going to start with your early life um and we're going to talk about that do you mind if we pray real quick before we just get into this not at all no Um, Father, we just thank you uh, for Albert and just giving, in his, giving us his time today. Lord, I pray that as a, as a church, as those who are listening, um, as we listen to, your st- listen to Albert's story and how you've worked in through his life, uh, Lord, would you just speak to us? Would you come and, uh, come and work through us, Lord, and in us? And I just pray that we just have ears to hear what you want to say to us through this story. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so uh, Albert, let's talk about your early life. Um, you, you, you have quite a rich family history. I've been reading your book over the last week or so. Appreciate you sending that over to me and being able to read through it and, uh, and get to know you a little better. It was a bit strange when you came in because we don't actually know each other that well. We've had meetings over the years here and there but I felt like I really really knew you and and you didn't know me but I felt like I really knew you I'm glad it didn't send it to sleep it? it didn't send me to sleep no that was it definitely didn't um but but you have um a rich family history really of of having a, a shop uh, around DIY and you grew up in a family that was very much based around this family business so um, one of the stories I loved was about being a young boy and kind of being brought into that family business pretty quickly. Yeah, well, my, the business started in 1878 by my great-grandfather, and he moved up from Sheffield. It was called Rogers, funny enough, because it's a very popular name in Sheffield. Hmm. If you look at your cutlery, a lot of it's Mark Rogers. But anyway, <laughs> he had nothing to do with that. But um, he he was a saw doctor, and he sharpened these big saws. Hmm. And... Um, Somehow or other, we, we got into retailing and um, in 1878, and uh, we sold tools, cutlery, and ironmongery. And um, mm. 
the business was transferred to my grandmother, and she was a bit of a tartar. I don't know whether people understand that word, but anyway, mm. she was a bit of a hard taskmaster and uh, ruled the roost. And um, then she handed the business over to my father, who uh, sadly was um, dying of um, leukemia. And he, he died uh, when I was seven in 1953. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I was still at school. And um, my two brothers, who were a lot older than me, um, developed the business in basically in shops. We had um, two shops and a small sawmill and we were the early pioneers of DIY so mm. we weren't primarily in the DIY business but as the DIY business came in in, in the 50s that mm. we, we got in on the bandwagon as it were so yeah and you know so you, your nana uh, was nana dickin she was the one who married she Dickin, Dickin. which is where the Dickin name came from. Yeah, kicked her husband out. I don't know why she kicked him out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But like you said, you were brought into this culture of work first. You know, it was a very work-orientated family Mm. and you were brought up in that. Um, Your dad died rather young, as you mentioned. uh, And uh, you were a twin. You were twin sister, Elizabeth. Mm. Um, and but you said that when you guys came along, really, uh, your siblings were a lot older. Hmm. Um, so you guys, I guess, felt like the babies of the family. Oh, very much so. Yes, I mean, my brother was seventeen years older than me, my elder brother. Wow! And one was twelve years older, and one was ten years older. So we were very much the twins. We were, I think, a bit of a surprise. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, a good surprise. I hope. Yeah. That's hopefully. Good. <laughs> um, but you talk about one of the stories I love. Uh, is about um, how your dealings with wood as a young child and how you were almost employed by the family uh, to do the dirty work, let's say. And you talk sometimes about getting deliveries of wood that you'd have to split and almost work your way out to be able to even leave leave from doing the job. Yeah, well, I, I used to uh, rush home from school and uh, at lunchtime as well and um, chop my chop sticks into paper carrier bags which people wouldn't know what they were now but mm. anyway they were paper carry bags and um i used to get sixpence which is two and a half p new money um <clears throat> per bag for filling them and it was quite a lucrative profession really <laughs> <laughs> but they used to my brother used to dump all his timber and had a have to sort of chop my way out <laughs> yeah yeah and and you said you even used to run home from school at lunchtime and, yeah, and yeah, do yeah, some yeah. run back. I got a stitch, stitch in me, gulped down my dinner and chopped a few bags more. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess what we're saying is right from the start, right from an early age, there's this work ethic that's just built into you. You you grow up in a family that is, is very work oriented and um, you're expected to work hard for your family. Yeah, I think it was part of what life was then. Yeah, um, just after the war, I suppose, and um, <clears throat> it life was work. Where whereas today, l- l- work tends to be an interruption to to a lot of people, but, um, <laughs> which is a probably a good thing. But um, <clears throat> no, um, it, it was all work, and if you got a bit of time off, you were lucky to go to Red Car or with be or something like that, with yeah. my mother. <laughs> yeah, lovely, a nice day out at the beach, um, and I guess same time you're at school. Uh, you are working 
working at school, but but you leave school with no qualifications. Yeah, we, I say. went to the Arthur Head Secondary Modern School, and I learned very little. That partly their fault, partly my fault. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I lived at fifteen with no qualifications. Yes. Yeah. Nineteen sixty one. Nineteen sixty one. Yeah. I, you hated, left. I hated school. I was desperate to leave. Yeah. I used to get bullied. Unfortunately, we lived the wrong side of the tracks. Right. So. Um, <clears throat> I, I was bullied, but people don't quite believe me, but I, I had sort of a knee put in my face most days and thrown over the wall because it, mm. it, no it was a playground. You know, there wasn't uh, grass fields or anything, but yeah. uh, we were in the centre of Thornaby and then thrown over the wall most uh, days. And when you say you were wrong side of the tracks, you were the, you were the posh side of the tracks. Yeah, we, we actually, my, my father sacrificed a lot and paid £1,400 for this um, semi-detached house wow. in Thornaby, so yeah, so you were posh kids, and so you stuck out a little bit. Yeah. But you're also shy. Mm. You're a shy, shy boy. Um, but but the good thing is, is that you leave school 15, and you talk about how you go on to basically run a business. At that point, um, you run. There's two stores, Stockton and Thornaby. Um, that you you know your brothers have extended I guess and brought bought another building and running another shop but you're kind of left to your own means running running a shop is that right yeah well um I started work really when I was about eleven um, part time you know we did holidays yeah. and night times you know and that was in the second store in Stockton mm. <clears throat> we opened that in nineteen fifty seven or something like that and um, yeah, I, I sort of, after a couple of years of working full-time, when I started when I was 15, I took over the management of uh, running the store. Yeah, and you tell, share some stories about um, all sorts of things happening at that point where, you know, you try trial and error and, you know, making sure a builder was off sick with kind of dust and your renovations that you thought were a great idea. Yeah, I took a couple of walls out, which uh, and I didn't realise there was three walls above it not supporting it. So when he, <laughs> he came in one Saturday and panicked and quickly put acro props underneath this <laughs> lesson learned, I suppose. So we can say it's an era of trial and error in your life. Oh yes, very much. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, but at the same time, um, there's a there's another big thing going on in your life. You've left school. You're pretty much in a position where you're. Uh, leading, running a business uh, full time, um, at least one one of the shops. Um, you're knocking down walls that you shouldn't be knocking down, and all sorts of things. But then there's kind of personal life. You've got you've got things going on there. Um, you were invited to a Christmas party. Yes, a colleague at work who I'm still friendly with. Um, he invited me to a Christmas party. Uh, by the church he attended, which was a Brethren church. And um, I met people there that um, just blew my mind away, really. I, I mean, I suppose uh, I had a few bob in my pocket and um, I used to go home, watch the television. That was my life, really, and then work. Mm. Or, or work. But I, I met people that were having a great time and there's loads to eat. Mm. And um, so I didn't really look back from that point of view. Yeah. And would you say at that point, when you, you know, going to that Christmas party, would you describe yourself as a Christian? No, 
Um, very much not. Uh, but I remember walking away from that place, 1963, three. Three it was, yeah, uh, and actually walking, because you had the bus in those days, you didn't drive anything, and uh, actually felt like walking on air. I was with my twin sister. Hmm. And um, <clears throat> literally, uh, almost a life-changing experience, really. Hmm. Uh, a really joyful uh, experience. Just from going for, to a Christmas party? Just from going to a Christmas party, yes. And what was it that made you feel like that, do you think? Well, the friendliness of the people, uh, the happiness of the people. Yeah. And um, I, I never looked look back. I, I sort of started to attend the church on a Sunday, um, hmm. their, their evening service. And... Um, <clears throat> And, and and then I started a, a, with a group called Covenanters, which uh, people probably don't know. Covenanters is a boys, it's a boys Bible class, if you like, you know. Yeah. And uh, I gradually grew into the faith. I, I can't, like a lot of people, actually quote a, a second or a, d- a day when actually I came to know Jesus as my saviour. Mm. But um, it, it's been there for a lot of years now. <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah. And you, after 10 weeks, you were baptised. Yeah, yeah. In those days, they, they ducked you pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's amazing. So uh, what was the reaction like? It's quite a big life choice, a, quite a change um, in your life. Um, I'm just going to read a, a quote, actually, that you've written in your book. Um, uh, in this period that you went through, you've written down here, after this point, my life took a completely new meaning. Work continued to dominate. But the joy that I received through my newfound faith spilled over into my everyday life. I wanted to take every opportunity to tell people about it and spend time with my new Christian brothers and sisters. I enjoyed all the meetings and can still sing a lot of the songs that I learned all of those years ago. So what we're talking about here is... You want me to sing them now? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But we had... I guess what I'm trying to get at there is there was this real sense of everything just, it was like, I guess, like in every, you're seeing everything through a new lens. Yeah. Which is what a lot of believers would say when they meet Jesus. It's almost like life just has a new meaning all of a sudden. Yeah. I think my mother thought I'd joined a cult because I, obviously I went to virtually every service <laughs> and um, <clears throat> thoroughly enjoyed it. Actually, we formed a group not long afterwards, uh, the Good News Group, for want of a better name. Mm. And we went to uh, various parts of the country singing um, with this group. But um, no, it was a very exciting time to, uh, for me. I mean, it, it still is really. Uh, it's, I've never not lost the faith. And uh, it always surprises me when people do lose the faith because uh, I cannot, I can understand them falling out with a church, mm. uh, but losing the faith, uh, because Christ is the answer to our every need, you know I mean? Yeah. It just means so much. Um you know, he's everything, really. So uh, he's everything you need. Mm. And that's uh, that definitely, like, as we go through your story, I think that becomes so so real. Like, every decision that you make, even running such a huge business that you end up leading, um, Jesus seems to be the center of the decisions that you're making, and, um, and we're going to get to that. But there's something else that happens in this moment in your life because at that Christmas party where you walked home feeling like you were walking on air almost. Um, there was someone else there, wasn't there, that you ended up getting to know? Yeah, I didn't know at the time, but um, there was a, a young lady there um, who I eventually married, um, Pauline. And yeah. um, 
<coughs> yeah, that was great. Good time. Yeah, that was in 1968. Yeah, and she remembers you from that night, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, she remembers me, and um, oh, that's Gordon's boss. And um, she she remembers me also walking at the church. Um, oh, that's Gordon. Gordon. This Gordon was my friend in the. And oh, that's Gordon's boss. Right. <laughs> yeah. With my brill cream hair. And <laughs> oh, nice. So you went dressed to impress. Oh, I always did. All oh, right. <laughs> well, well, it you, works. Pauline was impressed. That's you did. Good. You did in those days. You put your best dress on for yeah. uh, for the church. That's but, good. Well, your best clothes on, not your dress. <laughs> um, so yes, it was good. That's brilliant. And and that kind of she still got rid of the brill cream. And, oh, uh, is that right? And the sugar in my tea. She got rid of that. Right. That's good. <laughs> See, women have good influence on us. That's what we're learning. Well, yeah. Why it's well, a very good influence on our lives. <clears throat> um, but this kind of sets us up really for really what's going on in your family at this time as well, because you get married, but there's also a really exciting time for your family that you've got two shops, one in Stockton, one in Thornton and Um, And you've been managing one and, um, but really that you're seeing a need as a, as, as a family to move the business uh, to Partrack Lane. Um, you get an opportunity to buy um, and really expand um, into timber and all different types of things. Yes, in 1963, we bought a one-acre site down in Portrack. And if people know Portrack Lane, it's a very developed area now. I mean, there's very little down there, really, when we bought this. I mean, there was no Asda or anything like being or or anything. And um, <clears throat> so we we built this sawmill and showroom and um, storage facilities, you know. And in 1965, I was... Um, um, I moved from the shop hmm. down to this place and um, where we did all the deliveries and, uh, and I was in charge of the deliveries and we had 15, 15 lorries. So hmm. I sorted all the delivery schedules out. And that's amazing. And that, But that was really the start. Your Dickens' presence on Portrait Lane it was, was yeah. the start of everything that was to come. Hmm. Well, in 1968, we, bought, we expanded so much. We bought a nine-acre site opposite. Mm. Which was an old farm, and uh, they built the. Um, some of the people might remember the store that was there. Well, it's some of it is still there actually. It's um, mm. home bar. No, not home bargains. I forget what they call it now. But anyway, it's one of the retail stores. Yeah, <coughs> and it would soon become a huge business. The Dickens would become uh, a well-known name, a well-known business, um, and would sell t- sell millions of pounds worth of products across the northeast every year it would yeah so albert uh the dickens company uh dickens diy this is a huge story here um there's a lot of things that we need to cover in terms of dickens um at the time where we're at you've bought this uh, place at Portrack Lane in, in Stockton um, and you've bought this farm basically opposite where you already had a, a mill and distribution um, but now you've bought this huge farm and you've built a, a huge store really uh, that that would become I can't remember the word and you used in your book but it wasn't a DIY superstar it was no, a hypermarket hypermarket <clears throat> that's it Mm. So talk us through that. What was that like as a family? What was that like? You know, you you don't own it on your own at this point. You own it with 
um, with others in the family and you're building this the country's first hypermarket basically around DIY is that right yes um actually we we built a, a larger version of what was on the other side of the road which was a huge sawmill mm. a huge timber storage place and a huge sheet materials and doors and windows because doors and windows were wooden those days but anyway um so we built that and then we we were half so retailers at heart really and so we gradually expanded into these huge warehouses with the the DIY mm. sort of uh, business and so there were, there were actually two companies there was the retail side mm. and then there was Dickens Mandel Mandel Timber side yeah and um, they're, they're always a bit at loggerheads so we uh, anyway I think the, the retailing side won because uh, in 1974 mm. we went on television and uh, just with um, some very quick adverts sales starts Wednesday mm. um, something and we opened till late 8 o'clock at night and I remember vividly Quarter to eight at night. Yeah, people literally almost throwing money at you. You know, and, yeah. I, and I thought, we, well, we'd, we'd arrived then. Hmm. And in 1975, we made um, a 30 second advert with somebody called Richard Bryers, or some people, some of the older ones will remember. He used to be in um, anyway that gardening program. They used to be on TV, a funny gardening. But anyway, what it was, <laughs> but um, <clears throat> he's very famous actor we're dead now mm. <laughs> most of my friends are dead <laughs> no not quite um anyway he, he did the voiceover for it and uh that that was a very very success yeah and in 1976 we made a two-minute advert hmm. which well it didn't set out to make a two-minute advert we made three 30-second adverts because we sold a lot of products by this time mm. cane furniture Carpets, kitchens, bathrooms, and so we sold. Um, so we made this uh, three adverts, and then I went down to see them in Bradford, and said it'd be great to. They, they had another one in the in the bag, if you like, and I said it'd be great to put these four together hmm. and make a two minute movie. Yeah, and we launched that in 1976. I was in the Far East at the time, hmm. and it literally rocked. Wow. The whole of the Northeast. Come to Dickens Home Improvement Hypermarket at Stockton. You'll realize why people say there's nothing else like it in the country. And and that's and that's it. I think that's when I uh, read about it and looked at. I've watched the advert myself. Um, it. There's definitely a sense of being ahead of its time. It was a little revolutionary at the time in terms of having such a long uh, advert on TV. Um, two minutes long is quite a long time in advertisement. But also just the advert itself, it um, it kind of speaks of um, speaks of a kind of a, a perfect little life and come and have a look. And, and definitely looking back now, obviously it feels very... Uh, aged now being that it is 2021 um but looking back at it you do you do kind of think wow like that's a very different time but it also almost looks like idyllic uh in terms of um wanting to go there there's there's slides for the kids there's swings there's 
you know, that there's, it looks like there's so much to see and to do. It looks like a place for the family to go. And you even talk in the book about how some people would come uh, and, and bring the kids and, you know, go to the cafe or whatever. And, you know, and you think, well, it'd be nice if you bought something, but people would almost go for a day out. Um, yeah, well, we, we, I mean, people used to say, well, do you go to America and get your ideas and this sort of thing? And said, well, no, we just really supply the need, really. Mm. And um, <clears throat> the advert, the, the director who, d- who did it, uh, I don't know if he's still alive or not, but uh, made in Bradford, but... Um, he managed to capture the the the, the whole thing we were selling, really. Mm, the feel of the t- place. Tremend- tremendously well, yeah. Yeah. And we had people come in from uh, probably 50, 60 miles, you know, uh, mm. to our store. Yeah. I mean, there the, was the famous thing. Where we used to have the, these grand sales, you know. And we, we always started them on a Wednesday because Saturday would be far too busy. But <laughs> So we started them on a Wednesday and people would be queuing from, well, queuing all night, some people, mm. we used to have some fantastic offers on. Uh, but certainly from six o'clock in the morning, we used to give bacon sandwiches and hot soup for the queue, <laughs> which we did because the store didn't open until nine. Yeah. And um, there'd be literally hundreds of people queuing, never, wow. never mind the cars. I mean, at one stage, the police reckoned that uh, we called us, of course, a seven-mile traffic jam <laughs> at Worked working time nine o'clock in the morning, you know. Well, that must have felt like quite an achievement. Well, I don't know, hair raising. Believe me, I used to <laughs> always. I, I never had much sleep the night before when on the on our January sales, you know. I can imagine. Yeah. And you talk about that point as well. At one point, you were talking about how you'd buy in. You know, on a Saturday, it was so busy, and you had so many, so much staff. Um, but you buy in 200 bags of fish and chips yeah. from the local chippy yeah. because you obviously, you didn't want staff going off and making soup for an hour and, you know, no, no, no. And you wanted them working because yeah. it was so busy. There were so many people. And yeah. There was definitely a sense of this is new, it's exciting. Every, you, there's this huge buzz around the company. And at one point you felt like you could sell anything to, to people. And Well, we, were, we, we did sell anything. Uh, my, <laughs> my brother, um, he, he um, used to go, he got into buying job lots from people and that, I think it's mm. one stage we had ladies' hats and three-piece sweets and mm. goodness knows what. Um, yeah, but there's just definitely this buzz around the company. Um, but the, the, although the company's going really well, it's it's a lot of stress on the family, um, stress on your brothers. Um, and like we mentioned at the beginning, there's quite an age gap. Um, you were a young man, uh and you were obviously enjoying running the company, but for your brothers, it was taking a bit of a toll on them. Um, is that right? They were ready to sell. Um, well, my elder brother, uh, the doctors told him the business was killing him. Um, he was, um, well, he'd seen the business grow from virtually nothing hmm. to what it was then. And um, I think uh, there was a sense that uh, he could lose it yeah, overnight, and my middle brother—they're both dead now. Um, middle, middle brother—he um, uh, he wasn't really a big business person, but mm-hmm. he went on to run a successful business in Stokesley later on. Mm. But uh, the, the opportunity came for us to sell to a company called Montague Mayer, mm. who actually own uh, they own Juicens. People might be familiar more mm. with Juicens' name now owned by a French company, but. Um, 
uh, we sold out in 1977, mm. and I was 31. And you given the opportunity to almost stay in your role, a very, you know, a good role, um, being able to work for the company still, kept the Dickens name, which obviously I can imagine was really special for you, that they they didn't just change the name, that family name stayed there. And you worked with them for some time, and... Uh, and they were expanding the company across the northeast. Still, is that right? They, they were still expanding. Yes, um, they, there was a big trend then for commercial companies. Uh, they, they were timber merchants. That's their business hmm. primarily. And there was a big trend to get in on the DIY boom. You know, yeah. and quite a few companies did it. Hmm. Um, but. Um, so, so they were they were uh, thought this was the new uh, horizon, if you like. And, yeah, uh, the new market to break into. Mm, yeah, but then we're going to skip forward a little bit. There's a lot of things that happen in there, um, but not long after that, um, you were invited down for a meeting and actually given the opportunity um, to buy the business back. They they decided to give you the opportunity to buy it back from them. Yeah, it was quite a miracle, really. Um, we sold in 1970, late 1977, mm. and somehow about five years later, because I, I had a seven-year contract, and I wasn't going to particularly renew the contract. I didn't think I would. Um, but I was invited down to London. It was, it was a very much family-oriented company, and mm. uh, they had offices in the Strand. Um, mm. But, uh, it was a, I mean fairly big compared with ours, uh, something like at the time, 500 million turnover. Mm. And um, out of the blue, they said, well, there's a timing for everything and um, we want to get out, out of DIY. Would you like to buy it back? Hmm. Uh, twice what we'd paid for it. But um, so the, the rest is history, really. It, it, yeah. I bought it back. But your wife, Pauline, and yourself, obviously you have to make a very big decision and, you know, you talk about, it's actually quite a hard moment, really. It's a, it's a lot on the line. You're dealing with things that you've never really had to deal with before and buying a, a big company back for twice what they'd paid for it, you know, all those years ago. 4.8 million it was, yeah. And you're putting everything on the line to buy it. You talk about putting your family's possessions and homes and um, really everything that you have that's worth anything is is on the line buying this company back. Yeah. It's quite a huge thing for for you both to do as a as a as a couple to really believe that that's the right thing to do yeah including the following year's tax we put on the line but um mm. <clears throat> well in some ways yes but we we're not particularly material people you know we used to have a little caravan down at saltburn and um you know we were happy with that um so if i suppose i wouldn't say it was totally easy but if if we were to lose everything mm. um well we, we started with nothing so we, we ended up with nothing <laughs> really <laughs> which is pretty much the story for everybody <laughs> yeah uh, and my yeah. wife she came from very humble beginnings her father worked in the local steelworks and mm. he was a clerk in the steelworks and, mm. and they, they had a holiday a year at kate and bay in near scarborough mm. and um Everything was accounted for, and they managed everything. So, and mm. uh, so, and I, I came. I say, my my mother was running the business for for many years, and then my two elder brothers took over. Yeah. So we came from very humble beginnings. Um, but uh, in 1983, I bought it back. Yeah. Mm. 
And that must have been quite a moment in your life, thinking, wow, like now I'm leading this thing. And and at the same time, uh, if I'm right in my timeline, you're, you're opening a, a huge store in Washington, which was a huge deal. Uh, but there's also, a, there is a big boom around the DIY trade at this point. And you were kind of riding that wave um, as a business. Um, you invite people like Noel, Ed, Ed, Noel Edmonds to come and open your store and um, th- you've got all sorts of things going on. Uh, you were invited to be part of uh, leadership, business leadership uh, in the Northeast, working with people like ICI, the heads of ICI and different banks and all different types of things. Opportunity to meet Margaret Thatcher. Yeah, um, that was a great, great privilege yeah, in Downing Street. Yeah, yeah which is incredible. Well, um, the, the real story behind that is that I, I made a film to develop to try and promote Teesside. And um, I, I suggested we start off with the steam train coming into Teesside. Hmm. And um, it's still available, I think, to, to view, for people who want to view it. <laughs> um, it. In the end, it was it turned out very, very good. And um, we launched it in number 10 Downing Street with all the screens there and all the cameras. Tanti's television did did the work for it. Hmm. And... Um, it was a great privilege to meet Margaret Thatcher. I can imagine it was, but I can imagine it was amazing. But you talk about how you don't even remember walking through the door. You know, it was one of those nights where it was almost too surreal that you don't even remember most of it. No. Um, kind of like our wedding days, I guess. Not many people remember their wedding days. No, no. So, but um, there's there's a whole bunch of things that go on here. You, you're obviously. Uh, expanding the business um you're learning how to hand over to people who can run the day-to-day a little bit more and you're learning a new role in this um but one of the things i kind of wanted to pick out really from this was as this company's expanding um you uh, obviously have your own walk of faith you have your own personal relationship with jesus um, you're a Christian and there's things that you're going to come across in business, like any business owner, whether it's a small business or a multi-million pound business, where you're, you're at conflict between um, how do I, you know, stay committed to Jesus in this, but at the same time, how do I kind of work out my faith in this uh, business world, which at some points is ruthless? Um, and how do I remain a witness um, in this world, how to remain salt and light, which isn't always the easiest thing. No. Um, one of the things you mentioned is kind of opening hours and when you open. So obviously there's this period where the country is moving from this point of being never open, any sh- any shop open on a Sunday to a more, um, actually you can open on a Sunday and um, with limited hours. Um, but talk us through kind of how that battle kind of goes around and how you incredibly busy man working for an incredibly busy company even just re- take that life and home balance and try and work that out mm. well uh, we it was a bit of a trying time um basically i, I handed over the um running of the company to, to my directors and i gave them rightly or wrongly um a lot of autonomy mm. um Basically, they could sell anything, they could do anything. Um, <clears throat> but um, the question of um, Sunday trading came up and uh, I, I um, they wanted Sunday trading and um, so I let them have it. Um, mm. I never worked on a Sunday. Um, 
which I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but I, I think that um, one of the decisions in my life, and we, we, all, we all make mistakes, I think I would have preferred, in hindsight, years afterwards, mm. not to have done it. But, of course, all the competition, all the uh, mm. uh, all our stores, all, all the comp- uh, were opening. But I, the, um, I, I take, um, the, the, there are stores, like uh, I think there's a toy store that doesn't open on Sunday. Hmm. And um, I think there's uh, one or two in America that don't open Sundays and very successfully. Um, yeah. But so I think in hindsight, I would have uh, not done it. Yeah. And I think it's it's easy in hindsight, obviously. Hmm. Um, but but I, I think it's that battle, what we're saying here is every, whether you run a small business, a, a large business, you always are challenged with different aspects of how do I remain a witness? How do I remain, you know, um, right in how I lead this company, but also how do I kind of move with what, what's happening? It's not, it's not an easy thing. It's, it's a constant battle of what's the right thing to do here. Yeah. I think, um, the church in particular is faced with this reality now, really, mm. um, very much so. I mean, mm. I sympathise with the likes of the guys like you and I coming in because, I mean, looking, I was thinking about this yesterday, really, looking back, we went through some easy times, really, or sort of seemed easy mm. um, compared with the, the complications of life now. Mm. But, um, no, I, I think that, you 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 um you have to hold fast to the Bible and the teaching of the Bible, mm. which obviously is open to interpretation. Mm. But um, I, I think that um, definitely trading on a Sunday is probably not recommended. <laughs> yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Yeah. But I, I guess what we're saying is that there should be a Sabbath in your own life. There should be a day where you stop and reflect and mm. spend time with family and and stop working. Um, uh, the other the other side of all of this is is that many people will know the Dickens brand. And certainly, I as a child knew the Dickens brand because uh, I saw it plastered all over Middlesbrough shirts, um, and that must have been quite a surreal moment for you, like as a you know seeing your family name on all the all of the borough shirts as they're affectionately known. Um, it's it's more surreal now. Then when you see them pop up, oh, they're Dickens. Is that right? <laughs> and it wasn't the time because it was just really part of our marketing. We, we, we uh, I mean, we spent absolute fortune on marketing. We, we spent something like in those days. I'm going back a lot of years. Mm. Two million pound a year, you know, which probably might be worth something like ten million today, you know. Yeah, you know, in in the northeast of England, you know. But it's a gauge of where the company was at at the time. Yes, you yes. were oh, yeah. you, you were turning over a lot of money, selling a lot of products. Um, one of the things that I, I did want to pull out, you obviously you had a relationship with Middlesbrough for quite some time as a company, um, and but one of the things that I think I wanted to pull out personally that struck me was. Again, coming back to how do I lead a company, but how do I remain faithful to Jesus and his teachings? And it's not always easy, is it? It's not always easy in those t- it, to bring those two together. Um, and obviously, you had a great relationship with Middlesbrough for some time. But towards the end, uh, they weren't necessarily faithful to some of the agreements that they made with you. Um, they they obviously got bigger and better proposals as they grew as a company, uh, as a brand, as a as a football club. Um, 
and there was one period where they broke their relationship with you basically their heads were turned by a bigger deal um so they were moving into the riverside that's what that's what's happening here well, yes, and the year before the um, moving into Riverside, we had the contract and the, indeed the contract for the year they moved into the Riverside um, to sponsor them. But mm. uh, they came along um, after the end of the first year and uh, said that in the interest of the community, we would like to uh, you to uh, stand down as the sponsor. Mm. Well, we didn't take that line down. Quite honestly, and in the end, we settled for some compensation from that. But um, yeah, there was another incident where we actually the same year uh, they were due to open a store it, or, or sell out. We were selling their products in our store, mm. and uh, they didn't didn't turn up to sell that. So uh, mm. we said enough is enough, and um, uh, in the end, we we ended up in, in the courts. But I think the lesson learned from that is um, there's only one winner when you when you go to court because the Bible talks about not taking your brother to court. Mm. So whether they were my brother or not, I don't know. Is a question. Um, <laughs> but um, no, there's only invariably one winner when you, when you take court action. But mm-hmm. um, in the end, we we settled for. Um, I think they made a donation to the Butterick Hospice mm. for twenty five thousand um, pounds. Yeah. So. Which is great. What what I'm trying to pull out here, I guess, is that I'm just going to read a little bit from your book again. Um, but you've put here, some might ask why a Christian would want to sue somebody uh, in this way. Aren't we supposed to turn the other cheek? However, I wasn't suing an individual. I was suing the club. I believe that we were standing up for what was right. In retrospect, uh, we would probably have gone down, we probably wouldn't have gone down the same route because at the end of the day, it was only the lawyers that won by making vast sums of money. Uh, on reflection, an earlier call to Steve, uh, that is um, Steve Gibson, um, uh, early calls to Steve would have saved both sides expending large sums of money, but sometimes you have to learn the hard way. Uh, it's in the past now, and nowadays uh, there are no bad feelings between us. Um and I guess, you know, we don't want to get into the details of what happened there, but I guess what I'm trying to pull out here is it's really hard sometimes, isn't it, as, as a believer, looking at things through the lens of wanting to follow Jesus to make the right decisions in, in a business world. It, it's not the easiest thing to do. Um, and like you said, maybe it wasn't the best thing further down the line, but at the time it's it's doing what seems right and it's really difficult to do that. Well, I, I was always taught uh, two things, um, never guarantee anything because my, my, my father uh, guaranteed somebody for a bike and they, they, they reneged on the deal you know yeah. and never lease anything mm. or always buy it I broke both those rules over the years yeah. at least I was Darlington store but um <clears throat> no, I think that it is very difficult yes and and and, and as Christians we make mistakes and um we've, we've just got to uh do the best best we can. You yeah, know? yeah. And following particularly the word of God, you know. Yeah, I, I think what as I read as I've read your book, um, what I found really interesting is just seeing how there is this conflict at times. How do I remain, you know, competitive in the business world? It's really difficult, but at the same time, how do I remain true to following Jesus? It's not an easy thing to do. No, but you would be led uh, down the years that the business has grown tremendously. 
Um, and many people will know uh, B&Q in Darlington who listen to this in our church um, is that Morton Park site and you were invited to open a, a Dickens there. So many people will know that. There was sites in Newcastle, Washington, uh, Stockton. Shiremore. Shiremore. as they say. Well, you've got stores all over at this point. Um, you've built up an incredible business, at which point you're approached by uh, what we know B&Q, um, but you're approached for a buyout. Um, but you reflect in the book that you you were ready. Uh, Pauline and yourself were ready to sell. You were ready to kind of be done with it. Um, and that was an incredible moment, really, a, a closing of a chapter in your life. Well, we as a couple um, have never um, held the business in as foremost in our lives. Hmm. I mean, some people, um, the, the business is everything to them, you know. Hmm. But for me, Christ was everything. Hmm. So, it, you know, I, I mean, um, like like my brother thought earlier on, that the business was actually going very well and, and uh, we could be wiped out with, the, with these people, you know. Hmm. So it was not a big... I mean, I, I sold the business on a, on a Friday. On uh, I think it was something like the thirtieth of April, and um, I never ever went back. Hmm. I, I was never invited back. But I never went back. Yeah. <laughs> and um, neither was my son. Actually, we were in the ran the Darlington store because they, they didn't want him in there. Hmm. But um, that was it. Was a bit uh, surreal that. But um, I, I didn't mind. I mean, people say, "Oh, you must have been heartbroken," uh, but I wasn't heart. I was actually more heartbroken when, when, when I got rid of my car because <laughs> the, 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 the car we talked about earlier. Oh dear! I, 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 I got that in nineteen two thousand and five, and fifteen years old, yeah. and um, it was a nice, nice car. I mean, I, I'm the sort of guy that never opens the bonnet. Really, mm. I have no idea. Um, but um, my wife said it has to go, you know, because it was on the on the drive, and because mm. with COVID we weren't going anywhere. And um, oh, so I was in tears when <laughs> I very rarely get into tears. <laughs> but um, it, it was it was the it was the modern with the car. It was the end of an era because yeah. I, I used to do um, used to visit all the charities we were involved in and that uh, oh, right. sort of thing. That's brilliant. Come and uh, see Phil now again. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that brings us nicely into kind of everything that released you to do, really, um, which was Goshen Trust. Um, you're already heavily involved at this point in charity work, but you were able to put a lot more time and effort into those things from this point on. So, really, your life now uh, has been set up uh, after selling Dickens, uh, and that's been handed over to B and Q. Big life change for you. Um, not having that, those phone calls every day. All of a sudden, the phone goes a bit, a bit more quiet. Um, you're figuring out, okay, what is it that I'm going to spend my, my, my time doing? As a lot of retired people have to do and figure out how how do I spend my time now? Um, what do I put my effort into? One of the things that you're already involved in and doing quite a lot of is charitable work. Um, and at this point, you decide to set up what what is known as um, the Goshen Trust. Um, I am pronouncing that right, Goshen. 
that is the right way of pronouncing it. It's in the Bible. It means the land of plenty. The land of plenty. Yeah. Um, and There's never enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think uh, just here, I'm going to, I'm going to read this uh, just so people can kind of catch your heart here as, as you go into setting up the Gaussian trust. You've quoted Acts 20 verse 35. It's more, ble- it is more blessed to, to give than to receive. And you've written, God will return to you, not necessarily in monetary terms, but I don't know for, I do know for a fact that you can't give, outgive God. My wife and I really enjoy doing it. And what excites us, rather than spending £150,000 on a Ferrari or a fancy piece of jewelry, we would rather spend it on seeing the kingdom extended. I have a nice car, but it's getting on a bit now. We just talked about your car. Yeah. We had to get yeah. rid of that now. It's gone now. <laughs> uh, I'd rather spend the money on leading even one soul to Christ. You cannot put value on salvation. It's nice to have a degree of comfort, but when it comes to spending thousands on a hotel room or on a private jet, it becomes unnecessary. But everyone has to answer to God for their actions. And I think that kind of has driven who you are, um, that sort of heart. Um, certainly who I know you as and my interactions with you over the years. You've even helped us here at King's King's Church uh, over the years financially and helped us in in building what we feel God's called us to build here. Um, so tell us about the Gaussian Trust, Albert. Well, ironically, the Gaussian Trust goes back to 1977 when we sold the business the first time. Hmm. And uh, through the teachings of the church, um, I, I, I'd sort of um, obviously understood that you've got to give to God. Hmm. And um, so we actually give 15% of the proceeds from the sale hmm. To God, we, we give them fifteen percent of the the shares, hmm. and um, <clears throat> it was the, in those days it was named as the Albert Dickon Charitable Trust because you're faced with a lawyer who says, "Well, can we have a name for this?" So, but then when we sold it second time round, um, hmm. we were a bit more wise, and uh, we named it. The, my wife came up with the Goshen Goshen Trust, hmm. but um, I mean, I, I'm not criticizing necessarily anybody really, but um, for me, um, I'm a very, very simple sort of fellow. My wife will tell you that um, <laughs> my favourite meal is egg and chips. I think, uh, but she, she, uh, she, I don't get egg and chips very That's often. A good but meal. I, I do get, get but uh, and as long as I have a shower every day and, and the roof over my head, I'm very, very satisfied. You know, <laughs> but uh, we we do live in, in in quite a nice house which I bought for um, a bargain in uh, in North Yorkshire, um, <clears throat> but. Um, I get a great joy out of see, helping people, but it's something that, that um, I've developed th- through my faith, if you like, mm. becoming a Christian. So we actually, the, the purpose of the trust, and and, and we, we're virtually a lot of the money spent now, but um, just in case those wanting to ask for money (laughs) um, is to extend the kingdom really. Hmm. And um, one of the biggest things we've done, we went into um, Christian television, which um, Hmm. was started by uh, Rory and, um, and Wendy Alec. And we went in a year after they started in 1996 and, um, it, they, 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 they were uh, and trouble. She's English, Wendy, and Rory was um, he's South African, um, <clears throat> and they started the what was the oh dear me the, the 
God TV Europe, I think, or something like that. But then mm. it, later on, it became God TV, mm. and um, or Christian Channel Europe, it was called. And um, it later on became God TV. Mm. And it goes worldwide and um, preaches the gospel to um, millions and millions of people, you know. Mm. I'm not personally involved now, but um, it's run by um, a very dear man from America. And... Um, called Ward Simpson, and um, it, it's it's incredible, really. And um, yeah. it, it basically it goes back to my success in the business world with mm. television, which was very successful for us. And so I translated that into the uh, Christian world, if you like. Mm. And, um, you, you know, it, 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 we can get the message across to millions of people. Um, mm. And, of course, technology has changed since we were involved in 96. Yeah. I, w- I was there for about 21 years, I think. And you, but you were, you became a, you know, you joined after uh, the fact that it started, but you actually became a very key figure uh, within God TV. So you were uh, the chairman, is that right? Is that no, the no. official title? What? Oh, well, yeah, I might have been the chairman. I can't remember now. I think you did, I think you did name yourself as the chairman in your oh, book. Yeah. So we I might have to go with that. Um, I could be wrong too. Yeah. Um, but you prepared. <laughs> played quite a big part. I was part. the director. Of the, the director. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. the offices in those days were based in Sunderland. Mm. Uh, so I used to go up to Sunderland to um, for the meetings and that sort of thing. You know. Yeah. But we sort of go from, I mean, there were two hours a day when we joined. Mm. Uh, and now it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And um, going into something like 200 countries, mm. uh, different countries, you know. Yeah. Which is incredible, isn't it? What an incredible story. Mm. But we've also been involved in um, in humanitarian projects around the world, in water projects. Mm. Been involved in quite a lot in Africa and in India, yeah, and in Nepal. Um, we do quite a bit of work, yeah, and quite a bit in the UK. We've been involved with uh, must be twenty five different churches, yes, in the in the UK. And one of those, uh, which is incredibly well known uh, to people in the northeast, is the Awkward Centre. Yes. Um, and I got a bit of a shock personally because obviously being the young the young uh, man that I am, uh, in relative, relatively speaking, uh, they uh, there's some names that I recognize from your book. Um, one of them was Chris Nankuli, who part of King's Church Darlington here and have been for many years. Um, but they were some of the founding members with yourself and um, with Pauline um, as you built, uh, what what became the awkward center um and you were a big part of that really that it was a church at first and you developed um to, to what became known as the awkward center oh it wasn't a church at first uh, well we started in 1982 and we rented um a small old school it was like a community center in in yarm which yarm on tees mm-hmm. and um <clears throat> I think we paid two pound fifty an hour. Two pound, yeah, yeah. It was in, it was decimal then. Two pound fifty an hour. <laughs> but I think we had about four hours. I think, and yeah. uh, we started with ten people, and Chris and Nan were were, were two of them, and um, <clears throat> we developed on to buying a bigger building nearby, and um, and then we expanded about about three hundred members, and uh, we we thought we would need some bigger premises, so we came across mm. this in on this industrial estate some um was a it had previously been actually commodore computers um owned, oh, wow. owned them uh but of, of latter years it was just a dank stinking horrible 
warehouse, but mm. uh, having converted uh, a number of them myself over the years, uh, I, I saw the vision for it, if you mm. like. And, uh, yeah. we, and it's on a nine-acre site, so we, we developed uh, that. Incredible. And uh, and you were one of the key people, really, if not the key person of kind of putting, building physically the, the church. Yeah, well, the, I, was, the building. I, I was chairman of the trustees on that one. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. so you had a lot going on at this point. Uh, you uh, were expanding Dickens, yeah. uh, extra sites, all sorts of things going on there. One of the funny stories from your book is uh, actually around, this is around your 60th birthday. Is that right? Oh, 50th. 50th, sorry. Um, so this is around your 50th birthday. Um, you're under a lot of pressure. You've got to finish the Awkward Centre by the weekend. Um, it's all kind of coming together at the end. You've got work going on, family going on, everything else. And there's a lot of pressure for you to get finished by a particular day at the Awkward Centre. Uh, at which point, actually, you do mention that you, there is a point where you break down in tears and, you know, how am I ever going to get this done? Lord, help me sort of moment. Well, you have to bear in mind that this is before we sold the company and we were basically working on what's called a zero budget. So we hmm. we, we thought we'd put a few walls up and then go on from there. Um, so the contractor we, we worked with um, had done an awful lot of development hmm. on, on our stores. And... Um, <clears throat> so we were doing it, if you like, piecemeal, you know, and uh, as best, as cheap as possible and uh, yeah, cutting the corners, if you like, where we could. Um, so the, the, the pastor came to me one day and he said, uh, well, we're going to have to have a date. When <laughs> 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 he wants it finished. And you're yeah, thinking, he, he wanted great, finished, thank yeah. you very much. <laughs> and at which point I did burst into tears and uh, I, I cried for over an hour or two. And, uh, yeah. But what you didn't know was the reason they really wanted you to have it done by that date was because it was your 50th birthday and they were actually going to surprise you with yeah. a surprise party at the, the awkward center that you needed to finish building. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're going to do a, this is your life, which they did. Um, yeah. We got it finished for them, but um, they wanted a date so they could get yeah. that fitted in and all the problems that went with it, you know? They, yeah. Oh, well it was good in the end then. It oh was, yeah. It was very it good. It was all good at the end. An absolute complete surprise. Um, I must admit. Yeah. Albert, you've done so much over the years. Goshen Trust uh, has helped a number of churches across the area. Um, you've met Billy Graham through your company and, and letting them use your offices. Uh, you've met Princess Anne, Prince Charles. Put my hand around Princess Anne. You're not allowed to do that. <laughs> you are not allowed to do that. Yeah. Um, and... And in 2018, you were awarded an MBE for, for the amount of ch charitable work and money that you've given through the trust uh, and the work that you've done with Butterwick Hospital, with schools. We could go on and on hmm. with the amount of projects you've been involved in and the amount of churches that you've helped. And you were awarded an MBE. What was the feeling like when you get, I, I don't know how this works because obviously I don't have one myself, but do you get an email, phone call, a letter? How does that come around? How do you how are you told that you've been chosen, selected to receive this award? Well, you, you get a surprise letter in the post, uh, and then it just goes on from there, really. But it was a uh, an incredible occasion. It was um, in June. Fortunately, we had lovely weather, 
for it. I think the biggest problem is my, my wife buying a dress for it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Oh, um, wow. Well, it's not every day you get to. No, 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 no. It's, um, but because um, <clears throat> it was easy for the men because they, they just went down to um, the, the, the tailors. The tail- and then they hired them, you see. Uh, yes. Uh, but now it was a lovely day. And uh, I had took my um, two sons down and their wives and. Um, it was a very grand occasion. My wife, of course, and, uh, mm. a very grand occasion. Yeah. And your wife's dress looked good. Yes, yeah, very good. Yeah, that's good to oh, know. Lovely. I'm, yeah. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Um, oh, she got good taste. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, and and you meet the queen. Everything go okay? There's a lot of ceremony around receiving an award. Yeah. Did yeah. you do I mean, okay? Did you? She turned your... out specially for me. <laughs> oh, brilliant! <laughs> she didn't do it for everybody. Um, <laughs> did you no. put your arm around the queen? Like no, no, no. I <laughs> but I, 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 you're supposed to. Back, back. I did chat to her, and I, I, uh, I preached the gospel. I think. <laughs> but I, I, you're supposed to back, back, and then bow. Well, I missed that bit. I, I've got uh, so uh, there's this man at the, uh, the the front who like puts an arm round, which must be about six foot long, <laughs> and direction, direction. You're oh, supposed to go. Right. He must be used to it, though. I can imagine <laughs> oh, a lot yeah. of people under yeah, that very, pressure, very nervous. Yeah, yeah, get nervous. Yeah, uh, it's an incredible award, um, Albert. It's been incredible hearing your story. People, I know your book is called What the Dickens by Albert Albert Dickin. Um, and it's available on Amazon for people to go and purchase a copy themselves. I'd recommend it highly. I've enjoyed reading it. Um, and so many things that we've not been able to talk about because we just don't have the time to do it. But it's been such a pleasure actually just getting to know you and hearing your story. Uh, Albert, if you could leave all the listeners with one thing about your life. You've had an incredible life. Um, and you've still got some to go. You've talked about how the fact that you're still doing DIY around your own house and doing gardening jobs and all sorts of things. Um, but if you could leave the listeners with one thing from from your whole testimony, your whole story, what would you like to share with them, do you think? Well, I, I think um, basically the Christ is the answer to our every need. Uh, we were talking earlier and looking at some of the furniture and, you know, people buy these suites and, um, I mean, some of our furniture in our house is, is 53 years old when we were... <laughs> Well, maybe 54 now, when we were married. Um, <clears throat> some people uh, look for satisfaction in material things, hmm. Ferraris. Or, I mean, I did drive a Ferrari, mind you. When my son took me down to one of these driving experiences, so we did have a drive. <laughs> but um, and that did me, I think. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I think I'd kill myself. For nice, a <laughs> nice for the moment, but not yeah. for long term. Yeah. No, no, no. Um, and some people find their the satisfaction in drink and drugs and goodness knows what, you mm. know. But Christ is the answer to our every need. And mm. Christ, um, you, know, you know, the teachings of the Bible, you know, it gives us the the, the, the plan for life, if you like, mm. you know. The and, foundation. Um, I mean, I, I became a Christian when I was about 16 or 17, you know. Mm. And, um, you know, it's just been absolutely fantastic. Um, mm. you, you know, and I would highly recommend it to anybody that, that is searching mm. um, to make that step step of faith, you know, and yeah. uh, go forward. That's incredible. We really appreciate you sharing and being so open and honest with us today as well. Uh, it's not easy because there's a lot of things that we've touched on 
trip down memory lane on a lot of things and but you really appreciate you being so open and vulnerable with us and mm. let me just pray real quick to finish um lord we just thank you so much uh for the testimony that albert shared just thank you lord that you are the answer to every every question that we have every problem that we come across uh jesus you are the one that we uh that we are supposed to turn to lord thank you that um your heart is uh, for us, Lord, that you have a plan for our lives. Um, and Lord, you're just asking us to be obedient, to follow you. Um, whatever people are going through, listening to this podcast, maybe people just stumbled across it. But Lord, we just know that if they're struggling, if they're going through a hard time, if they're looking to possessions or things in the, in the world to fulfill the need that they have inside, uh, Jesus, I just pray that you would invade their hearts through the power of your spirit and you would turn their hearts towards you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 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 Well, thank you again so much for joining us. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I hope that uh, all that gardening work that you've got at home uh, all goes to plan. Um, it never comes to an end. There's always something to do. There's always <laughs> another weed to pull up, another thing to do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but thank you so much for joining us. And uh, thank you to all our listeners. Uh, thank you for sticking with us till the end. And I just want to uh, just finally just remind you just to reach out, buy Albert's book, have a read for yourself. You won't regret it. It's available on Amazon. And uh, have a blessed week. 